Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, which I hope you'll find to be a free and open forum for progressive writers and thinkers that I'm going to call Gary Talks, too. I am, of course, the aforementioned Gary, and I have a Facebook page called Gary Loves to Write. You're always welcome to drop by there and leave a comment, see what's up. And now we have Gary Talks, too. So I'm Gary, and I'm talking. See how that works? Anyway, I love both writing and speaking on the issues we face here in America, but only with sane, intelligent, and knowledgeable people. No crazies, please. If you would like to participate in upcoming podcasts in any way, uh, I will have details on how to do that very thing later on in the show. So I can hear you all asking out there in Radio Land, uh, just who is this guy to do this kind of podcast? Well, I'm really glad you asked, so I'll give you a little background. I'm an Army brat who never developed any kind of a noticeable accent because we moved a lot. Uh, maybe a little bit of a drawl sometimes, people say. I spent 30 years traveling around the world as a freelance pilot and instructor. I flew for various airlines, government agencies, private folks, the Saudi royal family, and uh, yeah, even Hustler magazine for a while in a big pink jet star, November 6-9 Hotel Mike. In my youth, I also spent a summer in the Hudson Valley doing air shows and teaching the fine art of throwing an airplane all over the sky. If someone would give me enough money, a chance to fly a new bird or see a new place, then I would go to work for them. Simple. I also love music, really love music, especially what's called American Roots music, the blues and blues-oriented rock, both hard and soft. Another cool thing I've been lucky enough to do is to play my guitar on stages in Europe and up in Asheville, North Carolina, a couple hundred times. It was always a thrill. I never got used to it because someone like me um, doesn't really like being watched by an audience. I get a little stage fright. That's why this is going to work so well. You can't see me and I can't see you. And of course, it goes without saying, I love both reading and writing, and I've been doing both for as long as I can remember, literally. If you want to know what I feel are the two very best books ever written in the English language, drop me an email, and I will share with you what they are and why. But here's a hint. George Bernard Shaw, a guy known to write a few words himself, agrees with me on the first choice. So let's get started. I am currently in the middle, exactly in the middle as it turns out, uh, writing what I envision as a four-volume, sweeping, epical, uh, historical fiction that I have chosen to call Journey, the story of an American family. What sets this family saga apart from other historical fiction is it's told from the point of view of a young, freeborn black man and begins in 1814. There's a great deal of historical fiction written, of course, everybody knows that, but most of it is uh, what I call bodice rippers, pirates, and uh, what my son used to call shining armor knights when he was a little boy. But By the way, he wanted to grow up to be a shining armor knight. That's how I remember that. 
So if you're tired of capes and fantasy heroes and would love to read a story based on real people doing real things, things that you can easily relate to, then you should check out Journey, the story of an American family. Volume one, as I said before, begins in 1814, and volume two, which came out last year, ends in 1865. Research is on for the third volume, and I hope to uh, have that pretty close to done by, say, September, October. So Journey deals with issues most writers and uh, normal people who aren't writers uh, tend to shy away from. It deals with the ugly part of our history, our shared history, I should add, in this country, as it deals with race, slavery, and the struggle to simply live a life of dignity and raise a family, to have a safe haven somewhere, a place to hold on to and keep strong against the steadily rising tide of racial animus. It is brutally honest, but it's never exploitive. It is often violent, as violence is sometimes the only way to deal with hatred like that and issues like slavery. Again, it is never exploitive or over the top. I always strive hard to keep it very real. So in this podcast, I will deal with some of the subjects raised in the story of the Woodman family as they travel through our shared history. In this first episode of the podcast, we will talk about the pernicious laws known as black codes, which were a terrible stain on our history that a lot of people have probably never even heard of. Have you heard of them? I was unfamiliar with the many despicable aspects of them when I began this undertaking, and uh, I've learned quite a lot. None of it anything to be proud of as an American, and most of it's just ugly racial hatred codified into law. So hang on to your hat. While the history of the Black Codes actually goes back to the very founding of the colonies, we'll be discussing those that were in place in the War of 1812 years and even uh, up to and after the Civil War. Yes, after the Civil War. And if you will, I would like to read you just a bit from the opening pages of Volume 1 of Journey, and it'll show, reflect a little about how affected uh, the populations that it was supposed to uh, control. This is part one. And uh, I call it the banner. The reason for that would become very clear to the reader uh, before too long. Each volume will be divided up into two sections that are uh, an important part of the story. So anyway, part one, the banner. The light from the small window in front of Jones's tavern cast a warm and inviting glow onto the street. A light snow was falling silently, wrapping everything in a cold blanket. The glow was especially inviting to James, who was watching from the shadows, waiting for a good moment to cross the street and enter that familiar safe haven. He stole another look around the corner of the crate he was concealing himself behind and quickly pulled his head back, his heart racing. Constable O'Malley and another man James did not recognize were approaching from the direction of the town, poking around in the shadows on the other side of the street. James leaned back against the crate 
trying to control his breathing and remain silent. Suddenly, a figure broke from the alleyway across from him and started to run down the street. O'Malley and the other man were after him like a shot, calling for the fleeing man to halt. Another constable stepped into the street while the fugitive was looking over his shoulder. When he turned, this officer struck him in the chest, knocking him to the ground. The fugitive looked up to see a large figure looking down at him, a cocked flintlock pistol in his hand. You know your type is not allowed on our streets after dark, so why are you out alone then? The fugitive was gasping for breath. I am a... I am a free man. You have no right to assault me this way. Uh, you may very well be a free man, boy, or we'll see about that later. But you are a black man, and no blacks are allowed out at this time of night under penalty. You should know that by now. O'Malley and the other officer came up to the fugitive, still lying on the ground, gasping. What have we here, Mr. Murphy? asked the man, standing over the prostrate figure. Murphy spat to the side. Another damn black who thinks he is above the law, Mr. O'Malley. Just another free man who thinks the laws don't apply to him. I am a free man, the man on the ground said, trying to get to his feet. I own a farm outside of the town, just east of here. Well, boy, oh, you may be a free man on your farm, and you may be a free man when the sun is up. But at night, you're just another damn nigger on our streets, and that's against the law. Now, let's go down to the jail and figure out what's what, shall we? The three policemen led the unfortunate man off, back towards the town and away from James's hiding place. He waited until they turned the corner, then stood and walked quickly towards the tavern, his feet crunching on the newly fallen snow. He did not run, even though he wanted to badly. He did not want to draw any further attention to himself. As it was, he caught a quick glance from two men walking by who saw him. He was afraid they might raise an alarm, but they just looked away and kept walking. He opened the heavy door to the tavern and stepped into the light. Several of the other patrons looked towards him as they heard the door open. A few of the drinkers nodded to him, but he thought he heard some of the other men in the room muttering about him being there. He looked around the smoky room and saw Daniel at a table talking to another man. James, James, join us. James crossed the room, not meeting the eyes of several of the drinkers who obviously did not care for his presence there. He joined Daniel and the other man at their table, where he was handed a foamy mug. James, I want you to meet my cousin Matthew. Matthew, this is my very good friend James. He owns the stables at the end of the street. It's that one down by the river that I showed you. Matthew shook hands with him and nodded. James could definitely see a family resemblance up close. Both men had the same unruly shock of ginger hair, the same blue eyes that were always smiling. So what brings you to this seat of democracy, Matthew? Just visiting or considering a move? Came to see my very favorite first cousin, James. Haven't heard from him in a while. Thought maybe I better pay him a visit and see how he fares. Did I uh, mention that I was his only first cousin, by the way? Daniel said, I may have left that part out. Matthew was looking over James's shoulder and his smile suddenly seemed odd. Then he noticed that Daniel had the same look. James turned and saw three roughly dressed men standing in the center of the small room, the larger one swaying slightly. What's he doing in here? The swaying man asked. It ain't allowed for no niggers to be out after dark, and y'all know it. Sir, 
If you look around, you will certainly notice that this gentleman is not outside, but he is indeed inside, enjoying the warm conviviality of friends and drink, much as you yourself are doing. The larger of the three men took a half step forward. Pretty words, friend, but it don't change the fact that my brothers and me don't drink with no niggers. James stood at his approach. Daniel smiled then and motioned grandly towards the door, which had just opened for another patron. Well then, my kind sir, please feel free to leave this fine establishment at your leisure. My friends and I choose to stay and enjoy the pleasant warmth of the place. You don't understand, mister. I want this. He reached out to grab James by the collar, but James stepped aside, took the man's arm, and twisted it behind his back, driving him forward into one of the wooden columns. He landed on the floor in a heap. The man looked up in shock, his two companions advancing. Why, you stinging nigger son of a bitch, you can't attack no white man like that. You'll pay plenty for this. He spit out some blood from his split lip and looked up. And right now's as good a time as any. As he scrambled to his feet, the other two men advanced further and were closing on James. Daniel and Matthew intercepted them and suggested they move back out of the smaller area and into the main room. Sorry, gentlemen, this is not your fight. If your brother here wants to match himself against our friend, well, that's his decision. Daniel glanced at the larger man who was dusting himself off and at James who was preparing to defend himself. And I would wager that was not a very wise decision for him to make. The owner of the tavern appeared suddenly. Now, James, please let the man go on his way. I'm sure he meant no harm, did you, sir? You don't want to see my place get broken up again, do you? James looked at the owner. I'm sorry, Mr. Jones. The last thing I want to do is harm your furnishings or disturb your patrons. He looked back just in time to sidestep a lunge and swing from the larger man, who then turned back to him. James dealt him a very quick right jab to the nose, followed by another. The larger man sank to his knees, covering his face. Blood Other patrons were helping to restrain them. What kind of people are you? One of them bellowed to the people in the room, looking around. What kind of people allow a stinking nigger to assault a white man like this and get away with it? An older gentleman threw a coin loudly on the bar. Everyone in the room suddenly turned towards the sound. I'll tell you what kind of people we are, stranger, since you've been kind enough to inquire. We are the kind of people who stick by our friends, and this man is a friend to many in here. He took a final sip from his glass and placed it gently on the bar. We are also the kind of people who don't use words like that, especially in polite society such as this, he said as he bowed to the room. There was a smattering of appreciative sounds. If you use that word in my presence again, sir, I will take this horse crop to that thing you call a face. He turned to the room. Good night, all. It has once more been a pleasure to share a fine evening with you. He bowed once more at the door and was gone. The two men who were being restrained went to help their brother to his feet. You ain't heard the last of this business, none of you, one of the brothers said to the room at large. Where we come from, this black bastard would be swinging from a tree by now, and I aim to see that happens. The mood in the room suddenly became very quiet. Daniel stepped forward and handed the loser of the fight his hat. This is a nice warm place to meet friends and enjoy a drink or two. You have just threatened a man many of us consider our friend with bodily harm. 
it would be best for all if you left now. The younger of the three men was pulling on his brother's elbow. We should go, Sam. We don't want no more trouble, he urged quietly. The larger man shrugged off his smaller companion. I don't need nobody's help. He dusted himself off and adjusted his hat, looking slowly around the room. I've heard about people like you won't stand with your own kind. Well, we'll just see about that. The three left and the mood relaxed noticeably. Matthew shook James by the hand. Very nice work there, James. Such restraint. I had the feeling you could have killed him if you wanted. Where where did you learn to fight like that? My father taught my brother and me to fight like gentlemen, James said. Broughton's rules of boxing and all that. And we thought it was stupid at the time. Well, he'll go on to find, as he continues his uh, adventures in the story, that it uh, wasn't stupid at all and came in very handy. I also want to... Uh, say at the end that uh, a lot of those words and uh, phrasings there are words that I have never spoken out loud before. And it was hard enough to write them. And when, it, when I knew I was going to be reading this and recording it, I kind of wrestled with the decision of how to handle it. But I decided that if the book can be brutally honest, then I can be brutally honest in the reading of it. I sincerely hope I haven't apologized or uh, <laughs> sincerely hope I haven't offended anybody. If I do, I did, I apologize. And if I put anybody off, uh, feel free to drop me a line and uh, we'll discuss it. The purpose of the black codes, it can be seen, indeed for the start of pretty much all police departments in the country at that time, was to control black populations, both free and enslaved. Simple as that. They sought with great effect to quell any type of influence that free blacks might have on their enslaved brethren in both the South and the North. Among the many prohibitions were voting, gathering for worship or anything else for that matter, bearing any type of arms, as well as learning to read and to write. The penalty for breaking these rules, even a teaching of literacy, were swift and brutal. Any enslaved person who could read and write and tried to teach others would lose fingers or worse. Travel for any black person was severely restricted. Family structure was not recognized in the slave states. There came a time um, I found in my studying where Gathering for worship became uh, acceptable for black uh, families and people if there was a white minister, which is kind of ridiculous. In the supposedly more progressive North, states like Connecticut, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and New York passed these types of laws to discourage all blacks from moving into their states in the first place. But some blacks, some states barred blacks completely from ever moving there or living there. States like Oregon may explain the low black population in Oregon today. Most of these northern states repealed these barbaric codes with the outbreak of the Civil War, and repeal was forced on the traitors in the South or the rebels, if you prefer. 
But after the Civil War, the self-righteous losers of the armed rebellion that they started were frantic to keep the free labor they had grown addicted to. They passed vague and arbitrary vagrancy laws, specifically designed to counter the influence of the newly freed men and women who wanted to organize a system, a fair system of paid labor, and they wanted to continue the supply of forced labor with these laws. Hapless blacks, men, women, and children could be rounded up and arrested on the flimsiest of excuses and forced into labor, this time as convict labor. Desegenation laws were everywhere and strictly enforced. And as a child, if I may, uh, side note, I, I spent a few years around army bases in Virginia and some in Maryland. I've seen with my own eyes this exploitive crime in the form of chain gangs by the dusty roadsides. Mixed race marriage was illegal there until Loving versus Virginia in 1972, for Christ's sake. That's the year I turned 11. These things were still going on during the lifetimes of a lot of people tuning in, or in their parents' time at least. It is truly shocking to realize that, really. It is not some ancient history from a dark past. Anyway, back on subject. Particularly egregious examples of the travesty of such vagrancy laws was the arrest of the entire 74th Colored Infantry, most of whom were from Louisiana, the very day after they were discharged from the Army by local authorities. Since they didn't have a job, they were considered vagrant. After 1877, and the end of what was ironically called Reconstruction, the hopes that newly freed blacks had in the promises of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were quickly dashed with the scurrilous 1896 Plessy v. Ferguson decision that legalized the infamous separate but equal doctrine that had, in fact, been occurring throughout the South even way before the ruling. These vile laws were the law of the land in the South until 1972. There's that year again. When the Supreme Court, in its infinite wisdom, ruled in the Papa Christu versus Jacksonville case that these extremely vague laws were indeed not constitutional after all. Nice of them, wasn't it? Don't ever forget it was the same Supreme Court, ironically named, that also gave us the Dred Scott decision, another stain on the court that can't ever be washed away. Before I'm accused of hating on a country I do love deeply, by any uh, stray MAGA Nazis or Q losers who may be tuning in. It is true that many more black Africans were kidnapped and taken to South and Central America than were forcibly brought to our shores. These places also fought tooth and nail to keep a system of free forced labor for many years after our own civil war. It wasn't just here. It was never right no matter where it happened. There is a lot of shame to go around. Well, let's uh, move on to a more cheerful subject. Uh, this next section of the podcast we'll call the political rant. And in today's rant, we'll be discussing America's most favorite pastime. And uh, no, I do not mean baseball. I mean mass shootings, of course. Something this country just cannot get enough of, it seems today. As I speak, the shooter in 
Allen, Texas case is being discovered to be a Nazi sympathizer or a, a total asshole, if you will allow, and white supremacy seems to be the motive. More direct racial hatred, just like the good old days before the Civil War. Some folks want to take us back to those very same good old days where people knew their place. Oh, nice slide there, dude. Okay, back on subject. Most of you know about the big ones, of course, the, uh, the shootings that make the papers, like the Allen Outlet Mall, staying in Texas, the family that was recently massacred for asking a neighbor to uh, keep the noise down a bit so their little infant baby could sleep, or the Club Q in 2022, the Dayton and El Paso shootings in 2019, Las Vegas Country Music Festival in 2017, and on and on and on. Since I do want to uh, try and keep my episodes down to around 30 minutes or so, it isn't even remotely possible to list them all here. I can tell you some facts about just fatal school shootings since February of 2000. And these are all just since February of 2000. Since then, there have been at least 304 school shootings and growing weekly, it seems. 46 just last year alone, way back in 2022, 46. More than 325,000 students have been directly affected, with around 2,000 killed or physically wounded. There is no way, of course, to count the psychic damage done. There is no way at all. So... The following is a partial list of just those that had fatalities, dead kids or teachers. Starting with the recent Covenant School in uh, Nashville and counting backwards, the cities and towns are, here we go, Denver, Arlington, Texas, East Lansing, Michigan, Des Moines, twice, Chicago, Tallahassee, Albuquerque, twice, Charlottesville, Orlando, uh, that's home of the happiest place on earth, don't forget. Seattle, St. Louis, Tucson, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Philadelphia, New Orleans, twice, Uvalde, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Washington, D.C., Greenville, South Carolina, Bridgewater, Virginia, Richfield, Minnesota, Beloit, Wisconsin, Pittsburgh, Wilmington, California, Humboldt, Tennessee, Oxford Township, Michigan, Grambling, Louisiana, twice in one week. Buena Park, California, Winston-Salem, Sharon Hill, Pennsylvania, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, Sonora, California, Commerce, Texas, Antioch, California, Bel Air, Texas, and Dallas. Whoosh. The vast majority of these were high schools, but no level is immune. And this list doesn't even reach back to the worst crime against children in this country has ever seen, the Sandy Hook Massacre in Newtown, Connecticut. It is and has been my very deep belief that if collectively we did nothing, or even less than nothing, after the wholesale slaughter of innocent five-year-old kids, then we never will. I hate to say it, but I believe we have become a nation of cowards, and that is not the country that I and my brothers and sisters and all of our Army brat friends grew up in. So I just want to add this thought that you should cherish your friends and loved ones 
because it is only a matter of time before someone somewhere exercises their God-given Second Amendment rights, that's according to the Lincoln County Sheriff here in North Carolina, and just blows them away. So think about it. I really want to thank you all for downloading this first in a series podcast. If you would like to participate, just drop me a line at the podcast at gvbrights.com. That's the podcast at gvbrights.com. And I promise I will respond. I'll read your emails on future episodes unless you specifically ask me not to. You can also stop by my website at www gvbrights.com and read more about the books and read a bunch of reviews too. You can also see about my mentoring activities that I do online every Tuesday at the Kadzakaloa Library in Malawi. Royalties go to fund these activities. The books are all free on KU, so you get a great exciting read for free and at the same time, help kids in Malawi stay in school. Such a deal. If you'd like to do an interview with me, that's great. Drop me a line at uh, the podcast at GVB Rights or contact me through the website. And we'll uh, set that up. I also mentioned my Facebook page, Gary Loves to Write. I can be found on Instagram at Reader Reclusive. I've apparently pissed off Miss Elon and have been kicked off Twitter for a while. Apparently there is room for a MAGA Nazi like Tucker, but not for the likes of me. Uh, go figure. When I do get back on, you can reach me there at Reader Reclusive. Please do feel free to reach out. I really want to hear from you. The only rules are these. No lies, no MAGA Nazis, no harsh obscenities, no idiotic slogans, cliches, or talking points, and of course, no moronic conspiracy theories. Everyone else is encouraged to drop me a line, and we'll get together in the next week or so. I think next week I'll discuss two stupid things that, uh, that we do here in America, or accept anyway. The first is the nonsensical policy of the Department of Justice to, quote, not interfere in elections, end quote, by doing the job they're actually paid to do. And the second is the ridiculous social taboo against using the term Nazi to talk about, well, um, Nazis who seem to be running loose in the country in the halls of Congress. Should be fun. So thanks again for stopping by. Be safe. Vote blue every election. It truly does matter. So adios, amigos.